You're listening to Thunder Quack Podcast Network. You're listening to the Pull Box Podcast. The International Graphic Novel Book Club. Here are your hosts, Curtis Finley and Michael Cohen. Welcome back to another episode of Pullbox Podcast. I am your host, Curtis Findlay. And I am your other host, Michael Cohen. We uh, This is episode 22, and we have a very special guest with us uh, here to talk about Batman Adventures, which we'll get to in a little bit. But first, we want to introduce to you our special guest, creator of Hench Girl, Kristen Gutsnuff. Hey. We are uh, we are thrilled that you're here with us today, and uh, it's kind of been a, um, a wild week for you because you have um, something new, something special that's just happened to you. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Oh, um, well, this week, uh, issue one of my comic, Hench Girl, uh, finally came out, you know, in stores um, through Scout Comics. So that's been pretty crazy, and uh, it's been going a lot, a lot better than I could ever have hoped. And what? Um, tell us uh, how how long has this taken for it to get into print? When did you start talking to Scout Comics? Oh God, last year. It was a while. Um, yeah, I think I met them at New York Comic Con last year. Um, but the thing is, is that. It's not like we immediately were like, okay, let's do this. It took me a while to, you know, decide which direction to go. And then also, I was like, I gotta redraw my comic because I don't want everyone looking at it. Like, I don't want the world to be like, oh, hedge girl, and then be like exposed to like my terrible art from like three years ago. So there were delays for that reason, and also just, you know, getting started on their end. Um, took a while, but now it's out. <laughs> so let's back um, up. Let's back up a little bit and talk about you. Who who is Kristen Goodsnuck, and what brought um, and kind of where did you uh, where where did you learn to draw, or where did you um, get involved with, with comics before launching Hench Girl, and then and tell us what Hench Girl is. Okay, um, I am Kristen Goodsnuck. <laughs> <laughs> That's that. Um, I don't know. I'm. Wow, I'm thinking too much about that question. I'm, like, I'm a person. Well, <laughs> um, um, how long have you been? How, how long have you been drawing? Oh, just since forever. But uh, you know, I more or less self-taught, especially with comics. I took like a class or two at like this local um, art center uh, in New York City. And that's kind of where I learned a bunch of comic stuff, like what supplies to use and all that. But um, I've also been doing comics just forever, like for fun. When I was a little kid, I would draw these like weird daydream comics in my journal instead of like writing what happened to me during the day. They're like really terrible and clearly like just like stupid wish fulfillment stuff. Like, there, I found my old journal, and there was one where it was, like, this girl, she's, like, so perfect, and um, she gets pulled on stage during a concert, and someone gives her a record contract, and then she dies, and her parents are like, we should have been nicer to her, and it was clearly, <laughs> like, my own, like, weird, self-pitying, like, 10-year-old fantasy. <laughs> and, um... Then when I was in, like, you know, middle school, I would just make comics to entertain my friends and me, like, in the back of the classroom and, like, that kind of stuff. And then I started doing some web comics uh, when I was, like, in my late teens. And I don't know, it's just always been a thing I did. Although I took, like, I would take, like, years of breaks in between each, like, comic project I did because I don't know 
I wasn't very successful at them initially, so there wasn't really like much of a demand for more until I like got better at art. And then, um, at what point did you start on Hench Girl? What what inspired you to do that? Um, actually, uh, so uh, my boyfriend had shown me all of Batman animated series and it was really great and like Justice League and all that stuff and I think just from being in that Bruce Tim universe for so long I just started having yeah I just like got this like gag idea it was about like the first few pages where she's like these mean streets they chew you up and they spit you out and like there's a street eating a guy and like that I thought of that as like a one-off gag and then I was like oh yeah but maybe I should just make a comic about a hench girl and then like using kind of just like the stuff I had seen in like Batman animated series and stuff I kind of made a superhero parody based on that and also other stuff too I just kind of wanted to make like a, a sitcom but in, like, a, you know, superhero, supervillain world. And I started in, uh, like, 2013, I guess. Just a while ago. Well, that's actually not that long ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's come a long way since uh, since this started. I mean, the addition of color and, um, you know, the, the fact that you went and started redrawing all of yours. Your style even changed in such a short amount of time. Yeah, I mean, that was kind of conscious. I I started it, when I started the comic, I didn't do like a character sheet for any of the characters. I was just kind of winging it. And then I would just notice which stuff, which things I liked more and just kind of try to keep um, sort of focusing in on what I thought was working most. And that's kind of how I developed my art style. Do you have uh, any, you, you mentioned Bruce Tim as an influence. Do you have any other influences in your work? Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, I think a lot of people can see in my art that there's like a big manga influence, especially like Rumiko Takahashi, who did like Rama One Half and Inuyasha. I used to just read her comics like over and over again to the point where actually in one part I randomly quoted a, just like a random line of dialogue for Ron Mullen half volume one and um, one of my online readers was like wait what and I was like oh yeah whoops <laughs> I knew that was familiar um, so there's that I also love Scott Pilgrim I mean I think you can tell that pretty easily too yeah definitely <laughs> um it's kind of hard to say what my influences are because sometimes i'm not conscious of them i have a lot of like varied interests in comics and like movies and stuff yeah um i think we mentioned scott pilgrim when we were talking about your yeah yeah definitely yeah oh for you just uh tuning into this one episode we did talk about hench girl in a previous episode so head to our website and, and uh hear what we had to say about story and stuff um, but yeah Scott Pilgrim definitely is an influence and you know now that you say Rumiko Takahashi like I can totally see that as well and there's one panel that I'm looking at right in the middle of the book right now um, where the mannequin is doing the the typical finger finger thing with the you know pointed the index and the pinky finger outstretched kind of the hand gesture that she always does in her comics Oh, oh, actually, that's Sailor Moon. Is that Sailor that's, Moon? Yeah, that's, that's from... She makes that every episode. Um, oh, yeah, I guess When so. she goes, right. like, in the name of the moon. I'm, I don't know why, but I'm doing the, the hand motion myself now. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard not to. I understand. Yeah. <laughs> I understand. Yeah, well, that's... um Maybe that's just an anime thing, then, in general. Because it's, yeah, uh, yeah. it's something that... I guess Grandma actually... The hands flip the other way around, so you see the other fingers... So I, yeah. <laughs> no, no. But Rumiko Takahashi does a really ex expressive, like, 
see that's why her stuff is so funny is because like some stuff will have puns and it's like i don't understand this this doesn't translate but a lot of her humor <laughs> yeah. is just like this is a hilarious expression of someone freaking out and i think that's a big part of what i kind of learned from her is like hilarious reaction expressions um Michael, I'm going to give you a chance to ask questions if you want to ask Kenny. Oh, uh, no, I mean, like, I, I, you, you kind of covered it already. I, 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 I really I sort of identified the, with the, the, um, the, the sort of Brian Lee O'Malley, Scott Pilgrim aspects of it when, when I was reading the comic online. Um, and, uh, and, and I remember saying in the previous episode that everybody listening... Uh, needs to to read this comic. Needs to definitely pick up this issue number one, because because uh, you know when this eventually gets optioned by whatever movie studio to be uh, a, a a big uh, comic book movie in, in the next few years, which I, I'm sure will happen for you. Uh, <laughs> That'd uh, be nice. Yeah, I that that these uh, that these early comics being able to say that you were there. You know that you were on the ground uh, early on and uh, reading the comics, and and you know had the initial issue one uh, by Scout Comics. It'll be a it'll be a really big deal because because I don't know. There's just uh, I, uh, I I I've read a lot of web comics, um, and I I some of them you kind of you get into and they don't really stick, but other ones kind of become part of your your weekly routine and and hench girl has has kind of become part of my weekly routine like it's 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 something that that i stick with um oh thank you so, that's so nice so yeah like it, I, I i don't know i just think that that it's uh that, that you've got it's clear that you have the all these great influences and i uh, and and but at the same time it's not directly referential which i really like is that is that an intentional thing to sort of like you definitely have sort of those those tongue in cheek references to Sailor Moon as well as to just general superhero comics, but I don't know. Unlike unlike some other things, like I think even Scott Pilgrim itself, Scott Pilgrim calls out X Men and it calls out like he like he he sort of almost like name checks things. But you for you it's a little bit more. I don't know. I I. Uh, it's a little bit more subtle. Is that an intentional thing? Are you trying to avoid the direct correlations, or? Um, well, it, it's kind of weird. I don't. I don't know if this, it's not. Doesn't seem to me like to be a like a positive or a negative. But at some point, I was like, "Oh, this isn't in our world. It's in an approximation of our world." So, like, New York City is New Fork City, which was me being terribly clever. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so I was like well if like everything is slightly different then they don't actually have like the movies we have mm. and all that so I just that's why I didn't reference anything it's because I have this weird idea in my head that that you're not supposed to actually say the names of like branded entities in your comic <laughs> but maybe you can it's a weird self-imposed rule I never even thought about but I think it's fun because then you have to think of a, like a dumb, like sort of like you know those companies that make like whenever a, like a movie comes out they make like the, the terrible approximation of the movie. Yeah, like like transmorphers. Kind of yes, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so I just do that on autopilot in like the background of my comic at this point. <laughs> What's, what is the process of uh, how you come up with your stories and go about translating that to page? Um, well, well, basically, what I, I mean, the nice thing about comics is that it's so hard to make comics and so slow that, you know, what takes you eight, eight hours to draw took you, you know, two minutes to, like, actually physically write down. So there's a lot of lag time in between writing and drawing something. So what I would just do is I would just wait around for inspiration to strike, like wait for like a nugget of an idea and then go on a long walk and just like put on one song on repeat um, and then just like wander around and mutter to myself. Kind of like 
it was almost, it's almost like watching a movie in your head where I'm just like letting my brain tell me what happens next and then I would like run home and write it all down so do you have things planned out pretty far in advance then or do you have do you have times when you have to like not draw any anything because you're stuck oh oh my god no well first of all I always have a bunch in advance so that I can make sure that I'm not you know if you don't have a lot of I mean, first, I write, I make sure at least, like, the next issue is written before I work on, like, a previous issue. At this point, the whole thing is done being written. Um, and, I, and I like the ending. I'm happy with it. Well, that's good. <laughs> um, but, you know, you don't want to, if you don't know what's going to happen on the next page, like, you're in terrible trouble, right? Well, yeah, and then you lose your you want to revise if, things. If you, uh... Yeah, if you delay, then readers stop checking your website, and you lose interest in that kind of stuff. You got to keep the momentum going. Yeah, I could see being delayed because you didn't finish the art. But I don't know. Some people just write and like just go with it. But I definitely like having everything written so I could change previous stuff to like go better with what's going to happen to foreshadow things and just to make sure everything makes sense and I didn't like introduce a random subplot that goes nowhere you know yeah and that's uh, I'm sure that's appreciated by all of us readers because <laughs> who was I I think um, speaking of um, Dragon Ball um, we're going to be talking about that in the, in the next episode with you and I was reading an article where a curatorium was saying that he actually didn't plan anything in advance he just did kind of page by page and just went and and went along it and uh just to see how you could how how the story just came up randomly so that's <laughs> i can a... kind of tell from what <laughs> <laughs> yeah and it's such a different way of approaching things um but yeah no thinking through is a uh, is definitely a, a good well, I think thing that's like, <laughs> i think that's like a tv writing way of doing things like some tv shows just like have no idea what their end game is yeah. and like that's can either be great or like it can lead to like really unexpected things happening or it can lead to what it We're usually leads to is yeah. just terrible television yeah. <laughs> well and that's neat that you have um you have an end in mind and it's not going to be a thing that goes on forever it, it's uh you have a you have a story to tell and it has a start and it has a finish yeah well i can as soon as I finished it, I was like, oh, no. And then I thought of a cool spinoff for, like, the future someday. Cool. But that that won't be my top priority after finishing it, you know. That'll so, just be in case I get my million-dollar movie deal and need to crank <laughs> need to out more Hedge Girl. <laughs> <laughs> well, keep that in your back pocket then, I guess. Um, what, uh, what does it feel like now having... Um, an actual published in print comic book rather than just on web comics. Oh, it's like so weird. It's totally different. Like, well, first of all, it's it's weird because people are selling it for like twenty bucks on eBay. Wow, already. And yeah, I didn't I didn't expect that to happen. One of the postings says unread, and I was like, oh no. <laughs> <laughs> my soul so much. Well, ho- hopefully, they bought two issues. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and didn't read either of them. So <laughs> that's right. Um, I think I don't. I don't know. That that's weird. And a lot of people have been saying that it sold out at their store, and it actually sold out through Diamond, too, which isn't that crazy because they don't usually order a ton more than than their initial pre-orders. But it's still cool because. That means there's, there's people looking for demand. it. Yeah. And um, how many issues is this going to be? Nine or something like that? Oh, um, 11. 11? Okay. Um, and then you'll have plans to probably collect that in the big volume. Yeah. yeah. That's my goal. That's cool. That's, uh, that's, I think, the goal of many people. Get a big fat book of your own comics. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. So- people say like to do two books because you make more money but 
I just like the idea of having one book that has the whole story in it. You know? Uh, you do that after. You can uh, do the two single volumes and the, the collected edition. <laughs> or, or or the other way around. I mean, like it doesn't matter. You know, I, I, you could you can do the big book first and in then, hardcover and in hardcover and then trades. do the trade paperbacks, right? <laughs> so yeah, it's it, it there, there there are so many different ways to to publish actual physical comics. Right. But, uh, yeah, you can you can basically go. I mean, like I, we're we're gonna talk about Batman in this episode, but in the next episode we talk about Dragon Ball, and there are like four different ways to buy the first volume of Dragon Ball <laughs> uh, yeah. in a whole bunch of different formats. So you know, if uh, if people want it, you have the option of doing a million different things eventually. So totally. Yeah. Well, I think my motivation is mainly. Not wanting to have to carry around multiple books at conventions. <laughs> like, yeah, just one book. There well, you go. <laughs> get your boyfriend to do that. <laughs> um, that so, is my laugh of disbelief. Oh, yeah. <laughs> just kidding. Sorry, Jordan. <laughs> um, is there anything that's different in the print issue than what we see online? Oh, uh, yeah. Um, hmm. I had a swear in one part, and I took it out, um, and then also... <laughs> was that, that at your was... request or the publisher's request? Oh, actually, Jordan, my boyfriend, was like, was like, I don't know, that sets the wrong tone, because it was on, like, page one. Someone said, I don't know if you swear in your podcast, it was the S word, just <laughs> an exclamation of disbelief or unhappiness right. and Jordan was like people are going to think this is like an adult comic and mm. I was like okay and I just added the ellipses instead well, that's an interesting point yeah um, and then there's also some gag comics in the back there's one that I wrote deleted scene but that's a joke it's not really a deleted scene it was a joke it was a gag comic I thought of like years after writing that scene I'm right. just saying it because this other podcast was like why did she delete that scene? That was my favorite part of the whole book. And I was like, oh, okay. Uh, that made me sad that that was their favorite part was this comic that I thought of because I had an extra page and needed to fill it, you know, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> well, they only like it because they've already read this material and now you've got another little joke in there. Yeah, yeah. So it's um, new, new and exciting. And what else? Um, I mean... I did actually change the writing a little bit in issue one. I added more jokes because I have a compulsion. Um, but I think I actually did update the website to also reflect all that. So it's basically the same. Wow. Well, maybe we should um, talk a little bit about Batman for, for a while. Sure. Uh, you ready for that? Yeah, I got all my Batman comics Spread out around me. Awesome. So you, uh, we asked you for a suggestion on what we should read for our podcast, and you said that you wanted to check out <clears throat> Batman Adventures, which is technically volume two. It, this is the one that was just out a few years ago. Um, and, um, and you suggested we read issues 11 through 14 in particular, because there's a nice story arc in there um, about the Riddler, which you are a big fan of. Um, and I ended up actually reading all 17 of these issues. So I, they're so good. Because, yeah, they're, 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 they're decent. They're decent comics for sure. And uh, um, I, I, mean, I mean decent in a good way. <laughs> um, so, yeah, why don't, we, uh, why don't you start by giving us a little synopsis of what Batman Adventures is about and why you wanted us to read this. Okay. It's going to sound like I'm, like, crazily obsessed with Batman animated series, but... <laughs> well, who <laughs> is in, it, like, really? The... Yeah. I have good taste. Um, it's in the canon of uh, Batman animated series. And the cool thing about it is that this uh, particular uh, series sort of bridges the gap between Bruce Wayne of animated series and like Bruce Wayne of Batman Beyond you kind of see him um, sort of going a little darker and maybe losing faith in humanity in a really subtle way which is cool it doesn't hit you over the head with it 
but it has some like really devastating moments that are brought on by Batman just being a jerk. Um, he like he, I don't know. It, it's really cool, and um, the basic idea is um, the Penguin is mayor, um, and it seems like maybe he's trying to run Gotham. Uh, clean? What's the word? He's trying to be a good politician and actually help the city. Uh, but Batman can't wrap his brain around the idea that Oswald Cobblepot isn't like actually cooking up some like terrible scheme to I don't know, do something nefarious. Mm-hmm. So like that's like sort of the main background arc. And then there's just a lot of like you know, one-offs about various villains in his rogues gallery. Um, and I think in this part, um, Riddler is reformed again uh, in one of my favorite issues ever. Um, and at one point, so what happens is Riddler is like a millionaire now because he like sold his inventions and he everything's great for him except he's going crazy because his compulsion to tell riddles is just like not being satisfied in his current life so he sends out these um cryptic riddles like implying that he's going to like kill people so that batman will hang out with him and it's really great. He's just super lonely. Yeah, I, I, I really liked that element of it that that you had both Riddler and and the Penguin sort of trying to get on the straight and narrow. And yeah. my favorite thing is the suspension of disbelief that any in any way, shape, or form anybody would ever allow these two men to just wander around the street freely. But whatever. <laughs> Regardless. I mean, like, you know, when you build giant giant penguin machines and stuff like that, you, know, you should be in an insane asylum. But um, the the fact that, that, that Oswald Cobblepot becomes mayor, and then the worst thing that he does, seemingly, the worst thing that he does in this comic is... He cuts funding to some social program so that he can give it to the to the bird sanctuary. So, like, that's that's no different than any other politician. Like, that's just normal politics. It's like you when when you become the mayor, you then have the the power to make these decisions, and so you go, oh, we'll cut funding to this this thing, and we'll put funding over here in this pet project that I have, you know, like so that I can have my name on something, right? Like that. There are mayors all over. You know, uh, there are the prime world. ministers, yeah, and presidents prime that ministers, do that presidents, as well. all sorts of politicians. That that's exactly what they do. But Batman just cannot. It's funny because, like in the Riddler comic, the Riddler can't. He can't live without Batman in his life, and Batman is almost. He almost has the same compulsion with the Penguin, where it's like he cannot accept that the Penguin could possibly be a normal person. It's like, no, he's evil. Therefore, every little thing that he does wrong is part of a master plan. I just don't know what that master plan is yet. And, and to the point where like he, he gets the penguin out of office basically by lying to him. Like, like he, I, the, the, your, your point about like Batman sort of starts to go dark it's almost like he the ends justify the means and he really doesn't care like what he has to do in order to defeat the penguin in this comic and and he compromises his own morals i think like like based on the batman the animated series version of batman he goes to a place where i did not expect him to go which is just flat out lying to the penguin and like on and and having him basically revert to his old ways in a way uh on live tv um and and it was it was nefarious in the way that he did it because at the end of the day he didn't know that that you know that the the ballots were rigged for sure he suspected and so he was just like he was getting penguin to react to a lie in order to get him to just basically be met like if if Batman Isn't were a like cop, entrapment if, or something? that's exactly like if Batman were a cop, if he worked within the law, that would be entrapment, and you wouldn't be able to indict 
the penguin on any of it because it's like you forced his hand in this situation. Well, I mean, he does try and kill him, but <laughs> well, but he pe- tries to kill him after Batman in like trespasses in his home. Yeah, or yeah, whatever. Right. I mean, yeah. there, there's like laws about that. I mean, <laughs> yes. in America. <laughs> well, and the the fact that the penguin, one of the first things he did as mayor was outlawed Batman and made him yeah. Yeah, most wanted criminal. That that doesn't do anything to help Batman think no, that Penguin's doing for sure on the up and up. But 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 he but almost he also outlaws like regular uh like cop like you know the other fanciful Batman villains. So it's not just Batman. He's he right. clearly is trying to stop the All you know craziness. Batman's just one of the yeah. crazies. Yeah, I mean, I've I've always found the Penguin to be one of the most fascinating Batman villains because uh, he is, uh, if not for his weird, you know, being being the Penguinness, uh, he's he's an analog. He's a he's a a foil for Bruce Wayne because they're both sons of Gotham and they're both you know uh, uh, they both inherit their their millions from their parents. So neither one of them really worked for what they have. Mm-hmm. They just kind of they're they're born with a silver spoon, uh, but Batman goes about it like like because his parents are killed in front of him, he becomes Batman and all that. But the Penguin, just because he was born with everything, he's he's basically just a millennial. Like he's he's just <laughs> entitled. That's all it is. I, I throw millennials under the bus, I guess. But I, I yeah, like that. It's that same sort of attitude. Like he's just an entitled rich kid who thinks that he deserves everything that he's ever wanted. And when he doesn't get it, his reaction is to build, you know, a, a giant rubber duck and terrorize Gotham City, <laughs> right? So. I yeah, but I, I think with Penguin, it's like part of it is like he's also just the physical, complete opposite of Bruce Wayne. Like, there's a sad part where everyone's protesting him, and he's like, um, "They'd never do this if I was taller." And like, I just was like, I don't know. Penguin may have a lot of privilege, like financially, yeah. but the only thing he seems to want is respect, and he works really hard to get it. It was also in like the Gotham show, which is a little uh, not super awesome sometimes. But I love the guy who plays Penguin in it. Um, God, my dog is trying to play with me. Um, <laughs> ignore that. Yeah, I don't know what I was saying now. Um, but so in a way, yeah, he's just the physical opposite of Batman too, and it, it kind of makes him like a kind of tragic character. Yeah, because you you don't think about how perfect and lucky Bruce Wayne is because he ha- he's a millionaire, he's like hot, he's super smart, he has everything except parents. But <laughs> but <laughs> you know what? Way. A lot of people don't have parents and they don't become Batman. That's this is what I always go back to with Batman is that he's <laughs> he's legitimately like he belongs in Gotham and he's just as crazy as the rest of them. And 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 I think that this comic it kind of. It kind of touches on that a little bit because the Batman the Animated Series, especially like in the later seasons, it sort of started to get into that area. And then Batman Beyond definitely did, right? Like oh, Batman Beyond that. dealt with Bruce Wayne and sort of referred to him in a way that like, yeah. like yeah. you're you're a messed up old man. Like yep. you and everything cannot, is a conspiracy. Yeah, you and, cannot yeah. stop fighting and, and – uh, Terry McGinnis was always kind of like, you need to learn to relax. Like, yeah. you need to chill yeah. out. Uh, which is why I've always... the Batman Beyond is my personal Batman. I've always loved Terry McGinnis more than actual Bruce Wayne. But uh, but is that only because you, you're you comparing him to normal Bruce Wayne? Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But, but uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I think that, like, like, you said that this comic kind of bridges the gap between Batman the Animated Series... And and Batman Beyond, and I totally see where that is, like yeah, where yeah. where those things fill in the gaps. And it also um, we get we get some cool stuff like uh, the 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 origin of Nightwing, which was never explained in in Batman the Animated Series. They went from I think it was like season two or three, and then and then they jumped, and the series technically became uh, the Adventures of Batman and Robin. Although it's yeah. technically still considered Batman the animated series, in like the when you buy the box sets or whatever, 
But uh-huh. uh, when it made that jump, there was like a time jump where all of a sudden Dick Grayson wasn't Robin anymore. He he was now Nightwing and and uh, and it was Tim Drake and they just they just skipped right over Jason Todd. Well, there is one flashback episode uh, where they talk about why uh, Dick Grayson quit being Robin. Yes. Um, but then yeah, there you don't get to see Dick the, the, become Nightwing. Yeah, the transition, the transition yeah. there. So yeah, that was cool to see that. <clears throat> there were just there were a lot of cool moments in here. There's one there's one one off filler episode where our uh, filler issue where um, I don't think it's one that we read that we were supposed to read. I mean, where Batman and Robin are tied up, hanging upside down or something in some sort of elaborate death trap. And well, that was like my least favorite one, but continue. Yeah. It, it, <laughs> it um, it, because it, it really didn't have any substance to it at all. It was just a, um, a, a reason to have a big splash page for every single villain. But, um, <laughs> there, the, there was one scene in there that I really liked because Dick, uh, no, Tim Drake is saying, you know, why do they, these guys keep robbing banks? Um, and with this money, they could just become millionaires and buy all the things that they want. But instead, they like they have to budget their money and hire people to make these elaborate <laughs> death traps yeah. and contract their work and you know all of this stuff. It takes a lot of work, and he's like going through this whole process. Like, yeah, you never think about how the penguin builds that giant duck thing. Like, you yeah. actually have to be very smart <laughs> yeah. about it. Yeah, yeah. It's like it's like for every for every harebrained scheme that one of these guys comes up with. There's that whole sequence from Batman Begins where they're figuring out like the the cowl and like oh it's made out of the wrong material. It's like, like <laughs> so like like the penguin is sitting with with like his engineers going like how do we make a giant rubber duck? Yeah. Like, like is <laughs> it actually a rubber in my umbrella? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like they they re- but it's it's funny because it also ends up turning that on its head and the Riddler it like he ends up using that genius, that engineering genius, to create his millions, like to create a, a company. And yeah. when he goes on the straight and narrow, um, the thing that I found really interesting was that his Riddler phone was a smartphone, right? In a world without yeah. smartphones, right? Yeah. And uh, and I, jobs. I don't remember what like what year was that published. That story. When would that have been? Oh, not like maybe four years ago. Or something okay, like so that. it was sort of. No, no, no. It says I have the comics in front of me. Uh, two thousand four. Oh, two thousand four. Longer than I thought. Yeah, that so that's like really like, that's that's actually before iPhone, I think, because I think. I think the, that's the first, like right when they might have been coming out. Yeah, so it it like whoever whoever wrote that was was obviously into tech and was like on the cutting edge of what a phone was about to be able to do because it was it was sort of like well i think most of us in 2004 were running around with razor flip flip phones right (laughs) yeah and so it's like yeah i think you could technically get your email on that but you wouldn't want to yeah (laughs) you know it was that sort of thing where like yes you could browse the internet technically but it was horrible it was a terrible terrible experience so and it cost like way more money than it should have because we didn't have data plans yet. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so that that aspect of it that like the Riddler would would be able if he just focused his genius on something else, he'd be able to corner the market on on all of these things because he what does he do all all day? He comes up with these insane riddles and then and it's never just like it's not like the Riddler just comes up with a riddle the riddle is always like the key into his elaborate death trap and the elaborate death trap is full of electronics and robotics and gadgetry and all sorts of stuff that That maze from the the animated series the huge maze that he traps them in with the the flying hand and the giant robot minotaur yeah exactly (laughs) it's like buddy like you could do so many like you could improve the world Disneyland yeah yeah I, I so yeah I like that they that they tapped into all that stuff. It sort of took the ideas that are in Batman the Animated Series and then takes them to a, a place that they couldn't go in a, in what is ostensibly a children's show. But yeah. in a comic book, it's like, well, we have a little bit more license because the audience is a little bit smaller and a little bit more specific yeah. that we can, we can explore some of these ideas. Um, well, I think in the case of, like, the Riddler... The comic does a really good job of making it like really tragic because yeah, it's mm-hmm. showing like how much potential he has if he didn't have his like just his crazy compulsions. 
um, basically that he could just be like the most successful person in the world. Mm-hmm. And um, there's just like, there's that, that little like short gag comic thing at the end of, um, oh, it's at the end of number 11 where he goes to the bank and he has this like long drawn out fantasy of, um, cause he's like waiting in line and he starts like relapsing and you think he's robbing the bank and stuff, but, and like, it's just like a peek into his brain and like how his mind works. And it was just like my favorite thing. You remember that part? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. It turns out to be just like a daydream, basically. Like he's just sort of fantasizing in his head. Um, and it's so weird because in his fantasy, Batman, Batman beats him, him up. up. <laughs> still beats him. Yeah. Yeah. He still gets captured. But, uh, oh, but oh my it, god! And his password on his computer is Batman. Yeah, or on his phone. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's in order to get in. Thing. Yeah, but even like the Riddler's story has this dark ending where he, after he gets stabbed and everything, that that he ends up uh, in a coma, and then has irreparable brain damage. Like if he ever comes out of the coma, he'll have irreparable brain damage and he won't be the Riddler anymore like I thought that that was that was yeah that was that was sad and it would have been nice to see that resolved if the series hadn't gotten cancelled yeah 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 it would have been it would have been really cool to see how that ended up playing out and if he would have because it because it seems almost like they they had they had a plan for Edward Digma's character too once you remove that 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 higher level of intelligence, maybe the 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 crazy part goes away with it, right? Like maybe that <laughs> brain damage would have mellowed him out, and he actually could have just been a regular guy. Hmm. That would have been really interesting to see. Well, another thing uh, in that issue I thought was really interesting is that um, you know he gets stabbed, and instead of being like "Help, I'm stabbed," he goes to a jewelry store and picks up a bunch of watches. Because he's like, I got stabbed by the Clock King. Yeah, rather than just tell somebody the Clock King stabbed me. Yeah, it's so this he, guy. He's incapable of giving a straight answer. Yeah, yeah. So and like crazy. to his detriment, constantly. I mean, he yeah. basically almost dies because he has to do riddles instead of just communicating, you know, normally. Yeah. And I thought that was really cool, and I didn't like notice it the first time, but then the second time, I was like, oh yeah, he's holding a bunch of clocks. That's why he, like, broke the window of the store. Yeah. Um, so I thought that was cool. Oh, you know what? That, so that was issue 12 that that happened. And going back to the thing you said about uh, Nightwing in Bloodhaven, uh, and also about sort of this series being about Batman kind of not being a good guy, but this issue shows sort of an alternate way of being mm-hmm. a vigilante in the way that uh, Dick Grayson sort of is like beloved by the people of Bloodhaven yeah. because he's not, um, he's not you know, mystery. an asshole to them. Yeah, that's, that's you. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. You. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't, he doesn't pop out of the shadows. He just walks in through the front door. <laughs> yeah. And he and- like, He's friendly. <laughs> yeah, and, and goes on the news and, and, and says to, you know, like, goes on and says, if you have any information about, like, he basically does a Crime Stoppers. Yeah. Uh, and it, it's interesting because he, he values the transparency between him yeah. and the crowd, but he still wears a mask. Well, it, the, the thing that I always love about Nightwing, about Dick Grayson in particular, is that, um, and, and, and I think that they even, like, mentioned it in Batman the Animated Series, but I know that they've, they've mentioned it in other stuff, uh, is that, like he gets his inspiration not from Batman but actually from Superman to go be his own superhero, right? Hmm. And there's there's a there's a moment in one of the comics that they they not one of these comics but like in just sort of in the larger DC continuity where he goes to Superman and says I'm thinking about doing this and Superman is the one who says you're you're totally capable of being your own hero and and doing things the way that you want to do them. So there is there's always that influence and that motivation with with Dick Grayson that he wants to be a hero more more like like Superman and the Flash and those characters that sort of live in the light and and coexist with society rather than 
hiding from it the way that that Bruce does. Um, and yeah. it's and to me like that's one of the main reasons why he has to leave, why he has to go be his own hero, right? Um, and and cool. and have his own identity because he he doesn't. He's from the circus. He doesn't want to live in the shadows. <laughs> yeah. He he does like to be center stage. So yeah, one of the comics, I forget which one. It might have been that one. There's the backup story about him getting the big robotic dinosaur, yeah. and it really like. Mm-hmm. It was cool because it kind of tied together some pieces of his character that I hadn't, like, consciously thought of. Mm-hmm. Basically, the more uh, demonstrative side of his vigilantism, you know, being center stage and spotlight and stuff. I thought was interesting. Good counterpoint to, like, Batman. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Well, and even Batman's attitude in that one is a good counterpoint to the rest of his attitude in the rest of the series. Mm-hmm. Nice well, that was a younger people. him. I guess so. Yeah, yeah that's true. Well, that I, was <laughs> yeah. That was like old-fashioned drawings and everything. Oh yeah, yeah. that's right. Yeah. They used the old costumes. Well, and and I think I think the thing about like what that that story sort of demonstrates is that Dick Grayson is the is the half of Batman that kind of kept him a little bit in the light and kept him a little bit more more lighthearted and and fun, uh, sort of and and sort of uh, in a meta way poking at that that era of sort of like the Batman and Robin era. And then I think Tim Drake, because I've always found Tim Drake to be much more like Bruce Wayne, like much more of the Batman archetype of character than <laughs> than Dick Grayson ever was, right? Um, so so if, if Batman's running around with Tim Drake in these later comics, then that sort of explains why he's allowed to go a little bit dark because Dick was almost the thing that was kind of keeping him from embracing that side of himself. Right. But yeah. without that, he's able doesn't, to doesn't have that. Yeah. To yeah. to to sort of uh, indulge in that a little bit more. And and Tim is younger in these comics than than Dick was in uh, Batman the Animated and, right. and I guess in the series as well. He's he's portrayed as a younger kid. So he doesn't have as much agency as as Dick Grayson did in the Batman the Animated Series. So I think that there's an interesting dynamic there that that although these characters of Robin and Nightwing and Batgirl are there to kind of keep Batman's his his weird dark persona in check, um, and and like that's sort of that's the reason why I think he takes them on is is and then I think Batman the Animated Series touched on that. That that you know he he needed Robin in order to not become basically become one of the villains that he fights against. But this comic almost kind of has him going in that direction, anyways. Like in spite of all that, mm-hmm. and and I thought that that was really interesting. There's there's interesting stuff to play with with Batman there, and it does bridge that gap into Batman Beyond, and you you kind of see him getting towards the point where in that first episode of Batman Beyond, he picks up the gun to, to shoot one of, like, to shoot a bad guy. And that's when he retires, right? That's when he stops being Batman is when he picks up that gun and, and he almost shoots somebody and he goes like, this is, I've, I've gone too far. Like I'm, I'm not fit to be Batman anymore. So it almost like in a, like it, it retcons and explains how he got from the animated series into that. Well, there's also the Return of the Joker thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that oh, yeah. that definitely can explain. That was such a good a movie. lot of like, oh my god, that yeah. that's a disturbing. Oh, movie. for sure, for sure. Oh, yeah. I liked the um, their decision about um, which costumes to use in this series because they um, they use the the general style or design of the, the the Batman from the Justice League cartoon with the really long pointy ears, yeah. but the coloring from the the revamp of the, the, the series when it became New Batman Adventures. Um, and then they decided not to go with the, the new redesign of Riddler's costume that was kind of Jim Carrey influenced with the yeah. spandex one piece and they went back to the classic suit, which is much nicer. Yeah, yeah. Um, definitely um, The thing that that was great about this is that Ty Templeton, the guy who wrote most of these stories, he has been writing Batman the animated series since 
the the early '90s when the comic, the the very first Batman Adventures comic started. Mm. So he's been on this for the entire time. He went through the various different iterations of the Batman animated series comic, and so he knows these characters really well, and it yeah. shows. Um, he was also the artist back then too, and so he he drew a couple of the backup stories, and he's got such a a style that is way it's it's like so on top of uh, Bruce Timm's style. Yeah. Um, whereas Rick Burchett, the the normal the regular penciler for the main comics, he's I find him to be a little stiff mm. in a lot of places. He he was good too. He he's way better than he used to be in the nineties, that's for sure. But uh, a little <laughs> stiff. But, oh man, I think the art is amazing. Like it might be that you know, like I said before. I didn't really grow up reading, like, a lot of Western comics. Because I always was like, oh, they're so, like, ugly and buff, and there's all these lines, and it's, like, <laughs> visually confusing. But the art in these comics is, like, just, like, my ideal art style. Because you look at it, you instantly know what's happening, and it just has this really classic look. I also think the coloring in this series is just amazing. It's yeah, just, like, nice really and subtle. Good. They do a really good job with their palettes and like making sure that um, each each story has a, a, a particular a particular color palette in it. Um, like the I'm looking right now at the that one where the flashback story where um, Batman's given the dinosaur to Robin, and it's just a whole bunch of kind of saturated gray tones. Um, yeah, it it looks like, a lot like an old an old uh, 60s comic, right? Like, it, it looks like it's right. sort of been scanned in. Yeah. Almost. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, they do a good job of that. Um, well, no, yeah, I mean, it. don't get me wrong, it's still really good, uh, still really good art. I just find that sometimes with Rick Brichette's, especially in his action sequences, that he he is not as fluid, or his, his characters aren't as fluid in their movements as um, when you compare them to the segments that Ty Templeton does. I, um, yeah. It's Ty just, Templeton is so talented. It's like mind blowing because like the yeah. writing is so good and then you're like, oh, he's oh, also yeah, an he artist. Can draw too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what yeah. am I doing with my life? <laughs> <laughs> it is a shame um, that uh, it only it, that it only lasted 17 issues, and I wonder if they were. I think they were trying to target it more to kids. Well, 2004. Would I think have been, it was a, the Batman. Yeah, was the, the Batman oh, would have just started, so they would have put an end to this, so that they could do a comic tie-in for the Batman. That makes sense. Um, because this still 2004 still would have been Justice League. Uh, era, yeah, actually. Justice League, because Justice League Unlimited was still on the air at that point. Yeah. I think even in, into into 2005, um, Batman Beyond or uh, the Batman would have been. I think 2005 would have been like fall 2005, hmm. maybe 2006. Hmm. But um, yeah, it's uh, yeah. So it, I think that the main thing is that they they cut it off because that Bruce Tim era was coming to an end. So they were kind of moving on to the next thing. But uh, uh, yeah, it is kind of a shame because it seemed like stuff was going somewhere with it. Yeah, like Red Hood and stuff was coming yeah. in, and they're like, oh, yeah, that's not too bad. Well, what did you guys like think the... of the? Uh... Oh, sorry. Sorry, yeah, go ahead. What did you think of the Grey Ghost issue? Because that was one of my favorites ever. Yeah, we didn't talk about that one. I thought it was was really nice to get a um, kind of a parallel origin story between Clayface and Batman because we have yeah. that episode in in the animated series where Batman says that Grey Ghost is one of his influences to becoming. Batman. Yeah. And then Matt Hagen also has a great ghost being an influence to his acting career. Um, yeah, I thought it was a it was quite touching and, and just to see to see uh, also the illusions of to uh, Adam West and his career and that kind of stuff. Too. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. thought that that was really interesting. The part where like where he's actually supposed to be acting in the yeah in the movie and he's doing the pauses and stuff. Yep. And then <laughs> and then there's the line that he has where he's like, "Oh, I guess it was just a different style of acting back in my day." It's so true. And and yeah, like the, the there's so much truth in that because you look at Adam West and then I think his closest contemporary is William Shatner yeah. and the both of them 
uh, have the same delivery. They they both do the same. I think William Shatner, like Captain Kirk, has sort of been more lampooned for it. Um, and then the the Adam West Batman hasn't necessarily been made fun of in the same way that Captain Kirk has. But if you actually go back and you look, like their their pacing and the way that they deliver dialogue is very similar because they come from a very similar school of acting. Um, and I just thought that was a really cool sort of like. That's that was in there for huge, huge nerds and only <laughs> huge, huge nerds. Like the kids reading that comic are just like, well, whatever, Batman, it's the great ghost. I remember that from the TV series, whatever. But then, yeah, those of us who are, are massive, massive nerds are going like, oh, this is like an homage to Adam West. And, well, and Adam yeah, West I did the voice that. in yeah, the yeah, series. So, yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so it was uh, it was a cool. It was a really cool sort of like side story, and then uh, uh, having having Bruce Wayne kind of be involved in all of that, and seeing that like he's he's making movies and stuff like that as well. That like you know that he doesn't a, even know about. Yeah, he's a millionaire <laughs> and he's so diversified he doesn't even know what he's doing. Um, I thought that was really what cool. really stuck out for me in this issue. I remember when I first read this series a few years ago, uh, maybe like three years ago. This one, like, made me cry because maybe I was having an emotional day, but I was just, like, so upset by Batman breaking uh, Matt Hagen's Walk of Fame thing. Oh. Like, it's yeah. just, like, yeah, like the worst thing to do. Batman being a jerk. Yeah, that's, that's, like, that's another one of those it, places where he goes to, like, the, the, the ends justify the means, right? And like, he puts him in cement forever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he kills him. He, he kills Clayface, more or less, right? I mean, or, also, like, or those... dooms him to a coma, basically. Like, he's just, Matt Hagen's just sitting there behind those concrete yeah, eyes. Right. For the rest of his Noticing life. Noticing a theme with all his villains. They're all yeah. going into comas. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> no, but, like, the way that he targeted Clayface or figured out which one was Clayface was just by, like, just, like, hurting him, like, in the most personal way yeah. he could. Yeah. And it was just, like, so shocking to me the first time I read it that I was just, I was just kind of blown away. Uh, and it was weird because everyone else was acting in the comic was acting like, oh, great job. You saved the day. And I was just like, did you? I mean, yeah. it he didn't actually hurt the guy. All he did was make a movie. Yeah. I mean, he kidnapped him. But but there's another example of Batman just thinking no one is capable. None of these villains are capable of, of holding real jobs or being regular people. Just like not like offering any. No help yeah. and it's like in the earlier at least in like the tv show i feel like he often would you know have some sympathy for his villains and try to like yeah. help them like get into normal life again especially i mean i remember the clayface episodes were always the most tragic ones like they were just like because his character is just like a really upsetting character and he doesn't seem like a terrible guy to me at least just like unfortunate circumstances have happened to him yeah. and it's just like he's Batman like doesn't even give him you know a chance to because he only he didn't make the movie to like as some sort of like evil scheme it was just like I want to be in he the wanted to meet his hero. Ghost movie. Yeah. Yeah. yeah he just wanted to play the role that he wanted to play since he was a child so it was really sad and I think opening it Opening the the issue with um, him as a kid meeting uh, Grey Ghost was just like it really drove the emotional stuff home because you kind of see like how far he's fallen and also just like that he's a person underneath all that clay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, anytime you uh, you bring in childhood flashbacks, it, it automatically makes it a more tragic story for sure. Yeah. Yeah, he was already a tragic character to begin with. Yeah, yeah, he, he's good. Yeah, overall, this series is pretty solid. Um, my favorite era from these Batman animated series comics is uh, when they changed the title to Batman Gotham Adventures. Have you ever read those ones? Oh, They were um, from a few years before these ones, probably late, maybe late 90s. Let me... I think I, I, think I have. Um, there's just a, there's a run in there... 
Um, when the artist is Tim Levins, and that is probably some of my favorite. That's my favorite stuff from. I think I don't know if Ty Templeton was writing it at that point. I think he was, but yeah, it's just a um, really solid stuff. If you haven't checked those out, some great uh, like Mr. Freeze episodes, and um, there's a one where it just focuses on Batgirl and Commissioner Gordon stopping a riot at at uh, I think Iron Heights or something, and they. Uh, yeah, they, uh, it's just a good bonding issue between the two of them without even Batman in there. So, yeah, I, I like that they are, they, because of the groundwork of the TV show, they're able to focus on little details of characters mm. and uh, pull out these little stories that all become little uh, gems and nuggets. Yeah, well, the thing is about these comics is, like, they're sort of a... Uh... You know, there's a stigma against them because they're like tie-ins to a kids' cartoon versus yeah. like the right. dark, gritty Batman that everyone apparently loves. But I think that working with the constraints of not having the opportunity to like disturb people with like gore or like violence and stuff, it's like or it's even really like, change the status quo of the characters. I mean, they, after they change it a little bit, you know. I mean, they slightly. change it subtly, and in a way, like, the subtle stuff is more, I mean, that's just how I feel about everything. It's, like, subtlety is always, like, more impacting than, like, hitting you over the head. But, like, you know how in poetry, like, you'll have, like, a better poem if you impose, like, rules on it because it makes you have to think harder to get around them? I think that in a way, at least with these comics, if the, the age-appropriate rule kind of makes it seems like they're working harder it makes people like work harder on the story rather than being like how can i shock everyone and make them mm. buy this based on like this shocking cover or whatever yeah definitely. i don't know i think that yeah these are like some of the best batman comics yeah. i've read and it's just weird because like no one reads these ones <laughs> <laughs> yeah well it's like no ra one knows rather than make the joker a more interesting villain by having him cut his own face off and walk around like a serial killer with his own face so back on right instead of doing that they go the opposite route where they go like what would happen if the riddler tried to walk the straight and narrow what if he and then you get to actually explore why he's the riddler as opposed to you know, just making him more grotesque or, or stranger or weirder, which is what I feel like the current DC comics trying to... Like, everything yeah. in the current DC comics, I feel like they try and take everything and make it edgier and more heightened. And for me, that's not that's not the right way to go. I think you, you've, you've kind of nailed it, that if you go that more subtle route and you impose restrictions on yourself, then you're challenged to, to actually think about these characters in a different way um, rather than just being able to kind of do whatever you want with them. Yeah. Well, I don't know if you read Zero Year, speaking of the Riddler, uh, like, that was okay. Um, but it just, like, maybe because, like, and he did all these, Scott Snyder did all these crazy things, like, Riddler takes over the city and, like, um... Gotham is, like, overgrown, and, like, it's almost like a dystopia, and so all these, like, giant, like, cosmetic changes happen, but there's no, like, uh, emotional story that, like, connects you to it. I mean, the way that you're connected to it is, like, purely plot, and no, at least with me, maybe I... Maybe other people got more out of that than I did, but I was like, I want something like a little uh, deeper, and I was like, it's kind of hilarious that that deeper thing I want, I like get from these yeah. children's yeah, comics yeah. tie-in yeah. from Batman yeah, animated sure. series. <laughs> I don't. Did you read Zero Year? No. Uh, nope. We didn't read that. Ah. Uh, well, I don't know if I would recommend it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, we should uh, we should wrap up this episode. Sure. Uh, yeah, for sure. Let's. Uh, we're gonna quickly just um, talk to our listeners for a second. Um, what are we reading next month, Mike? Uh, well, next month, uh, in in anticipation uh, of of because uh, uh, the episodes will come out in December, 
Uh, we're going to be reading all Star Wars comics. So we'll be reading uh, the first three volumes of uh, the new Marvel Star Wars comics. So that's uh, it's Star Wars is the main title, uh, Volume 1. Uh, Darth Vader, Volume 1. And Princess Leia Volume One. So those are going to be all three of our titles Great. for for the next month, I uh, and that's kind of to get us all amped up and excited for the Force Awakens. Oh, I'm excited. Uh, yeah, not not that it needs any <laughs> amping up or extra excitement, but uh, but yeah, I thought it would be cool to just kind of uh, immerse ourselves in some Star Wars for for November. Great. And we'll be back in the next episode with uh, with Kristen again to talk about Dragon Ball, and we'll hear a little bit more from her. Um, but I think that's it for us for this episode. So we'll see you next time. For more Pullbox Podcast episodes, you can check out pullboxpodcast.com to submit a reader poll. Uh, you can email thepullboxpodcast at gmail.com. You can also find us at Twitter and on Instagram at Pullbox Podcast. And you can follow me, Curtis, on Instagram at Curtis Bidley. And you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at ArkWolf, A-R-K-W-U-L-F. Uh, you, can, you can also find all of our other great podcasts over at ThunderQuack.com. And uh, uh, that's the home of the Thunderquack Podcast Network, of which we are proudly a part. And, uh, and if you want to help support all of our podcasts at Thunderquack, you can do that by heading to patreon.com slash thunderquack. And, uh, and, and you, can, you can pledge your support over there. Every dollar helps. But uh, if you're a Pullbox fan and supporter, then you'd definitely be interested in the $20 level, which allows you to get all three episodes of the Pullbox podcast, all three of our books, as one long, super long episode. Uh, right at the beginning of the month as opposed to having to wait for the individual episodes to be released so you can find all that at patreon.com slash thunderquack and all of our other podcasts at thunderquack.com